0: August the 26th, 2018, that's today, in case you didn't know, (laughs) August the 26th, 2018, feels like a beginning, so we're trying to launch Christ Community Church 2.0, and it has many different facets, but one of those facets was the need to go to two different services, so today, as I woke up, it was a lot different than last week. And uh, this will become the, the new normal, and people will come today for the first time, and they'll think, well, we, we've always had two services. Uh, but today is a beginning. Uh, today is a beginning that we begin Spanish translation in the second service. So there's a lady that I met this week, Barbara Rodriguez, who will be translating. there will be some of our friends here with a little earpiece on, and they'll be listening to me and her voice, so we're excited about, about that. And my guess is that late August isn't just a beginning for me. It might feel like a beginning for many of you all. You're a teacher, you're a student, you're a parent, you're a coach, you're an administrator. You're, you're somehow in that world that you get to this day, and I think of particularly today when public school starts tomorrow. And I've talked to many high school students as to how you're feeling about that. And there's that, you know, uh, desire to get back and be with your friends, and then that anxiety about all the work that's coming your way. And, that, you know, when you have that fear, when you have that anxiety, uh, you know it's not just happening from the student part. It's the teacher. It's the administrator. It's, it's the coach. But all of you all, and even if you're not in the school system, everybody is, is strategically placed in a particular location. I want you to know that. You're you're beginning your sixth grade year. You're beginning your freshman year at UNCW. You're you're beginning this new year as a teacher or administrator. You're not just landing there just to learn. You're landing there because you've been strategically placed like a a piece on a chessboard. You've been moved into place for this next year. And you're there not only to learn or to, to give away what you know, you're there to to speak truth about Jesus. To somehow in your regular life, as you go through your life, to, to live out the life of Christ. And when you can, to speak the life of Christ into the life of the people that you've been strategically located next to. But as Shane said so well, you and I know that there's a lot of risks that come with that. A lot of risk today in speaking about the truth of Christ. A lot of risk in saying something about Jesus. A lot of risk of praying at praying at a lunchroom table. A lot of risk if you're a professor to say that you're a Christian. I don't know if you read about some of the recent pushback in Southern California. There's a, a well-known pastor there named Greg Laurie. And he, he's a pastor of a large church in Southern California. And I think every year he does this thing called the Harvest Festival. And it's at a big baseball stadium. It's over three days and over 100,000 people come to this big evangelistic event. And it's pretty well known and very popular. Obviously, many people come. And prior, sometime prior to the event, they, they contract with an advertising agency to say, hey, we need to make sure people know what's up. So they have billboards or different things in different places. And so this advertisement agency places uh, uh, several ads near and around the mall in Southern California. And one day, uh, Greg Laurie and his team get... A, a phone call about those ads, and here's what the report says, that the ad had sketched a picture of Pastor Greg Laurie holding a microphone and raising a book in his right hand as if he was preaching to the crowd. The ad was on the side of a parking garage near Neiman Marcus until the company which owns the mall took it down. After two weeks of being in the mall, the advertisement company told the church officials the artwork would have to be changed to include non-offensive images. Because not only did they receive complaints about the ads, they also received death threats. The offensive image was a preacher holding up what appeared to be a black book, even though there was no writing on the book. So somebody phoned in a death threat for a sketch of a guy holding a microphone and holding up just a black book. No writing. That was offensive. And so the people in the mall took that artwork down and said, hey, it can't be replaced unless you have non-offensive pictures or imagery on it. Isn't that amazing? Apparently, just the image of someone talking about the truth could be risky. Risky. Now imagine you, you're a student, you're in the lunchroom, you're, a, you're in a classroom, you're, you're on the ball field and you're going to say or do something different. That's a, a huge risk. And of course, the risk of saying the truth is not new, new to the people who trust in God. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is Jeremiah. In his name, Jeremiah means to throw or to hurl like a spear. And God hurled Jeremiah like a spear into a paper-thin culture. And when he hit that culture, he just penetrated that culture and his own people. He wasn't going outside Jerusalem. He was inside the city. He was speaking to the people of God. And for speaking the truth, Jeremiah was abandoned by his family, put in stocks just outside the church and laughed at, accused of treason and beaten, lowered into and imprisoned in a dark, muddy well, eventually taken to Egypt and stoned to death, all by his own people. So you and I are like Jeremiah. We're, we're hurled into our culture. And our culture is, in case you haven't noticed, paper thin. Paper thin. And if you say something about truth, like the truth... You're going to expect pushback, just like Jeremiah received. And so here in this text, Jesus, if you look back at the beginning of the chapter, maybe your Bible has a heading, Jesus Sends Out the Twelve. And so he's sending, he's going to send out these 12 guys who've been around him for a year or so, and he's hurling them into this paper-thin culture, and he knows that there's going to be some, some pushback, there's going to be some fear, and so he's, he's trying to fuel his disciples with this great courage. And so when you read through the text, I don't know if you noticed the, the main point here. It's, it's written down three times, do not fear, verse 26 Verse 28, verse 31. I mean, in that compact of verse, verses, when, you have, when you've said something three times, that's the main point. And somehow, Jesus senses, has, I've been talking for a little while, and I'm sensing their fear. I'm, I'm just getting the feeling that they're getting a bit nervous, so I've got to come in here and I've got to fuel them with courage. And when you look at it, you ask yourself, well, what is it that he's asking them to do that's going to cause so much fear, and the answer is verse twenty-seven. Look at it with me. What I tell—this is what I want you guys to do. What I've told you in the dark, you need to say in the light. What you hear that was whispered to you as we were together—I need you to go onto the housetops and proclaim it. In other words, what I, I need you to make public what you've heard from me in private. It's not too different than what you might have in the morning. You read a passage of Scripture, you pray, and then you go out into your your workplace or your school. And somewhere along the way, God inevitably works in a conversation where you might have an opportunity to say something. He's saying, hey, what you've been hearing from me in private, I need you to make it public. That's that's the whole goal here. But he knows making that public is going to cause fear, and so I want to point out five ways here in the text, that are all easy to see, that he, Jesus attempts successfully to, to fuel courage. It was so perfect that Shane was, by providence, you were the one who was giving the mission moment because, you know, you, I could have just said, hey, Shane gave my sermon in five minutes. And you might say, well, why didn't Shane give more sermons if it's just five minutes? But, I mean, that, well, that was his whole purpose, was it not, is, is that he had to have courage. He's asking students and professors to have courage, and I'm asking you to have courage. And Jesus sees the same sort of fear in his disciples, and he gives five reasons. Let's look together. Verse 25. If they have called the master of the house, that's Jesus, Beelzebub, which is a fancy name for the devil, how much more will they malign those of his household so before i make this first point i want to say something that's just very obvious but it's worth repeating and that is suffering is the primary path god uses to advance his kingdom now you we just can't not know that because of the cross right i mean it's just impossible for us to say I'm shocked by that. I mean, because that was the main thing. This is why we have the cross right here. Suffering is the main way. It's not the only way, but it's a main way in which the gospel, the kingdom of God, advances. Maybe say another way, the kingdom of God makes its greatest advances through suffering. And so one one great way when you're reading your Bible is to think about is to think about the Bible as a sheet of music. One long piece of music. And if you start in Genesis and go to Revelation and it's really one long sheet of music, then a a really long piece of music is going to have reoccurring chords. And whenever you hear these reoccurring chords through the Bible, you're going to say, hey, that sounded like a chord that I heard before. And there's going to be this chord of suffering that you hear all the way through the Bible. When Joseph was given a dream that he's going to somehow rule and save his people, the way he got there was suffering. sold into slavery by his own family. And at the very end, what they meant for evil, what does it say? God meant for good. David, as a young shepherd, he's going to be the king. God says through Samuel, you're going to be the king. And immediately after that, Saul, his own king, tries to spear him to death against a wall. So in order to be king, you have to go through suffering. In order to save your own people, you have to go through suffering. Where does that reoccur? In order to save your own family, you have to suffer. In order to be king you have to suffer. So this chord, which may sound pretty here on the piano, it's a hard chord to hear when you hear it. Is it not? When that chord of suffering starts playing in your life, you're like, not this chord, Jesus, please. (laughs) Any other chord. Give me the chord of joy. You can play that all the time. But this chord reoccurs over and over through Scripture, and we shouldn't be surprised when the chord keeps playing through church history. It doesn't somehow stop right here. Polycarp, an 86-year-old man, one of the first to suffer and die for his faith. He was an an apprentice of the Apostle John. Right out of the gate, the Christians are suffering. Suffering. Today, uh talked to Benny Matthews, the person who runs the Alpha Ministry, to the folks that we support in India, and we were remembering, I was asking them about a pastor they had written about, gone to this small village to proclaim the gospel. Very hostile territory, and several young men, sort of like a gang, got him, shaved half of his head, shaved off his eyebrows put him on a small donkey and paraded him around the little small town, making chants about his faith. So you see, you hear that chord? That chord, that plays in your life. That chord is meant to play in my life. And when it does, it's the main way God advances the gospel. So that can give us courage. Can it not just say, okay, I'm not alone. And isn't that the point of this particular verse? When Jesus says, hey, if the people who who I was talking to, they called me the devil, then how much more that they're going to call you? But what's the encouragement about that? If they're calling you names, I love this. Then Jesus says, you're in the right house. You are in the right house. That gives me courage. That that makes me want to go, yes. I mean, if they did that to Jesus and they're going to say, Paul, I think you're a fool or I think you believe in a fairy tale. Okay, I'm in the right house at least. I'm in the master's house, and that's ultimately where I want to be. I want to be in the master's house. I don't care about the houses around here. I want to make sure I'm in that house, and as I'm saying something about Jesus just to, to my the person that shares the workspace with me, or somebody shares the field with me, or somebody shares the classroom with me, if they give me kickback, kick, kick I'm just going to say, I'm in the right house. That's the first piece of encouragement that Jesus gives his disciples. The second one, verse 26, so have no fear of them, for, okay, that little word, for, circle that. For, this is now the second reason why you're not going to have fear. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So have no fear for, for eventually truth is going to triumph. It may not triumph even in your lifetime, but it will eventually triumph. The Apostle Peter, who's hearing these words, as as an elder statesman in the church some years later, writes a letter to people who are being persecuted, and he just echoes these words. He says, all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but, what does he say? The word of the Lord stands forever. It's really just an echo of what Jesus is saying. Hey, you know, no matter what people are saying and they're calling you a liar, or they think you've, 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 you don't understand what's going on, this is going to triumph. The truth is going to keep marching on. The truth one day will re- be revealed. And of course, this would have been great inspiration if you lived in France in the 1700s. The, the great French philosopher named Voltaire, he did as much as possible to destroy the word of God. He actually took a Bible tied it to the tail of a donkey, dragged it through the the streets to the city dump, and had it burned. And here was his quote. Voltaire predicted that within 100 years of his death, which was 1778, Christianity would be swept away from existence and pass into history. I mean, how many people are reading Voltaire right now? I mean, not many. You just have to, because if you take philosophy, you have to read it. But nobody else wants to read it. But the Word of God is going to stand forever. So no matter how big the mouth is on the stage of the world today that shouts you down, and that can just be somebody who seems popular in your school or your boss at work, the Word of God is going to stand forever. And that's the second piece of encouragement. The third piece of encouragement, verse 28. And do not fear, you see that again, those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both both soul and body in hell. In other words, don't be afraid of people who can just kill you. Is that comforting? It is if your life is in danger. I mean, if you live in a comfortable place and you've got to get all of life has to offer right now, then it seems a little threatening. But if your life's on the line and many Christians' lives are on the line, hey, the worst they can do is kill me. What does the Apostle Paul say? For me to live is Christ. To die, what? Gain. Gain. See, if if you have that perspective, if this life isn't all there is, if there really is a a great life when you meet Christ finally, then you can just say, hey, this is hard, and even if you put me to death, it's game for me. I'm okay with that. I mentioned Polycarp a few minutes ago, one of the first Christian martyrs. He was 86 years old, and, and he was brought into this arena that was overflowing with people. It's like a, a kind of a gladiator type battle. But it's Polycarp against either wild beast or being burned at the stake. And the governor at the beginning feels sorry for this old man. And he says, look, just say Caesar is Lord. Just say it. You don't even have to believe it. Just say Caesar is Lord and, and you can be set free. And Polycarp's response, 86 years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong how can I blaspheme my king and my savior now? The governor then threatened Polycarp, saying he would burn him alive. And listen, listen to Polycarp's response and think about this verse 28. You threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. You hear him? You threaten to kill my body and it'll hurt and it's going to burn for an hour, But then that's going to be it. But my soul is going to be released into heaven. But you know nothing of the fire. He's looking at the governor. You know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What courage. Hey, you can put my body to death, but not my soul. But you're in great danger, governor. Governor that one day your body and soul are going to meet God. Polycarp gives me courage. These saints in the Old Testament, like Jeremiah, they give me courage. Jesus is trying to, to give his disciples courage to say, they might hurt your body, but understand you ca- they can't kill your soul. And as I sat at my computer and I reflected on just this idea for a few minutes that, that Jesus is, is intentionally designing his words to encourage his disciples who will all, be, all suffer for, his, for their faith. When I think about this 86-year-old man in the first century who was burned at the stake, and then I turn on the television and watch our culture quickly slide into a secular age, Where Christianity isn't just different, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to have a sketch of somebody who's standing and holding up a black book. I sometimes wonder what God is up to. But more often, I wonder, and especially this week, am I the kind of person who has the courage to stand up for the truth? I mean, I don't know what God is up to. People come to me and say, can you give me help? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what God's up to. I'm going to do my best to read Bible verses to you, but I don't know what God's up to. But I know what he wants me to be up to. And I wonder at Christ's Community, are we preparing the next generation of polycarps? I think about my grandson who will be here in another hour or so during the second service, what's he going to face in his generation? Is he going to be a polycarp? Or are we making polycarps the, the kind of young men and young women who are the strong timber, who can stand up even if they're being burned for their faith? A generation who can sing the song that we started with, The Body They May Kill. But God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Are we making those kinds of people? Am I that kind of person? Are you that kind of person? I don't have time to give you the fourth point here, verse 29 through 31, about the sparrow and the hair from your head. You can revisit the affirmation of faith. You know, what is our only comfort in life and in death? That God preserves us in such a way, it says, that, that even a hair can't fall from my head without him knowing it. So Jesus wants to fuel us in this fourth way to say, every small detail of your life, I'm in charge of that detail. There's nothing happening that's catching me by surprise. I understand every little thing that's happening to you, and I want you to be encouraged. And I want to close with this final encouragement that he gives in verse 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me is coming to a close of this encouragement. I want you to know, guys, you're going to go out and I'm going to ask you to proclaim things that you've heard me say from the rooftops. And I want you to remember this. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'm going to acknowledge them before my Father who is in heaven. So when you come, Jesus is going to say to God, Father, he's, he's with us. I know her. Because I strategically placed her in a school, on a team, in a business. And when it counted, she stood up for the truth and it cost something. Francis Chan illustrates this perfectly in his book Crazy Love about a story, real story that happened to him. Let me read it to you. As a pastor, I'm often called upon, a lot, called upon when life vanishes like a mist. One of the most powerful examples I've seen of this was Stan Gerlock, a successful businessman who was well-known in the community, and Stan was giving a eulogy at a memorial service. So he's at a funeral, he's talking about his friend who has died, and he decided he would share the gospel. At the end of his message, Stan told the mourners, You never know when God is going to take your life. At that moment, there's nothing you can do about it. Are you ready? Stan sat down, fell over, and died. His wife and sons tried to resuscitate him, but there was nothing they could do. Just as Stan had said a few minutes earlier, I'll never forget receiving that phone call and heading over to the Gerlach house. Stan's wife, Susie, was just arriving home. She hugged me and cried. One of her sons, John, stepped out of the car weeping and asked, Did you hear the story? Did you hear? I'm so proud of my dad. My dad died doing what he loved doing most. He was telling people about Jesus. I was asked to share a word with everyone gathered. There were children, grandchildren, neighbors, friends. I opened my Bible to Matthew 10:32 and I read, "Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven." And I ask everyone to imagine what it must have felt like for Stan. One moment, he was at a memorial service saying to the crowd, this is who Jesus is. And the next, he was before God hearing Jesus say, this is who Stan Gerlach is. One second, he was confessing Jesus. A second later, Jesus was confessing him. It happened that quickly. And it could happen to any of us. In the words of Stan Gerlach, are you ready? So are you ready? It's the start of something new here at Christ Community Church. It might be the start of a new school year for you. It might be the start of a new business, a new place. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand for the truth? Are you ready, ready to acknowledge Jesus before people so that one day and that day will happen that he's going to acknowledge you? What a day. I can't wait. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we all have our own sets of fears about really proclaiming you to a paper-thin culture. And I pray that these words of Jesus would just be like fuel, fuel for courage. Sophomore girl going to high school, a a new freshman at UNCW, a senior who has spent their whole life there and never really told anybody about Jesus. A business person who has lunch and conversations but somehow never can work in Jesus because of fear. Would you, would you breathe this courage into their hearts, their minds, their soul, and give them strength, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.